0: Asia Tech Podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. We are
1: live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. This is Pitch Tech Asia. My name is Graham Brown. Welcoming back part two into the studio, Damien Cummings. Damien, welcome. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Good to be back here.
1: It's great to have you back here. When were you here like, four months ago, five months ago?
0: Oh, I want to say even six months ago. But uh, you know, The world of entrepreneurship is so uh, crazy. I don't even remember. But yeah, let's call it a few months back. It feels like yeah. years, right? Years ago, dog years. Well,
1: we yeah, exactly. Because if we were to sort of rewind the clock a little bit, we yeah. talk about the growth of people wave mm-hmm. and where you were six months ago. You know, obviously things have changed a lot as well. You've grown. We're going to talk about that. What's happened? You've experimented as you are expected to do Uh as a startup founder. Um, A few sort of avenues explored, closed a few doors along the way. Uh Um, But you go from strength to strength. It's always, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward. But in the long run, we're going up you just to maybe put all this into context where are we now how old is people wave
0: well we've just celebrated our second year of life oh, wow. uh, so it's congratulations well we've uh, had some uh, kind of ups and downs so we actually had a very difficult 2018 but we've ended the note on a, a year on a very high note so mm. more clients coming in we've got visibility for lead investors coming in for our series a and uh, yeah we're actually kind of moving in the right direction after some quite big torpedoes that almost sunk us. Torpedoes. Too. Yeah. Are you
1: going to talk about those today? I'm going to go into great detail around those <laughs> torpedoes. And I want people I to learn it. from my yeah. failures and successes. Well, I really appreciate that. And it takes a brave man to do that, especially going on record and sharing your failures. We easily celebrate successes in mm-hmm. this world. But the fact that you do also share your failures not only makes those successes more valuable, but it is valuable to us. As observers as well Mm -hmm. and watch and learn, see what everybody else is doing. So we are going to talk about those. And to reference the last time that you were in here, Damien, um, we just chatted about this off air. It's that, you know, I've used that conversation, taking snippets out of it and shared it with people. And there was a bit at the end of the conversation which really resonated with people, which was your sort of why for why you were doing People Wave. And it was quite a personal story, wasn't it? And I was, I found that quite inspired and other people also contacted me, people that you probably don't know, but now know you is like for them, they, they heard you talk about your why and they were like, Oh wow, that's new. So maybe we can just recap part one, the why people wave, you had sort of you know it was your own itch if you like scratching your own itch or your own personal pain point which is felt by so many professionals in your experience Mm. you know you've done 20-25 years at the top in your game in those brands global brands that you'd work for
0: and then yeah then i lost my job so yeah so the story of PeopleWave actually is, is often linked to my story. So my experience has been about 25 years in digital transformation, doing roles in digital and in marketing. And uh, I did get to the top of the corporate world. You know, I held uh, jobs like a regional marketing director at places like Samsung. I was the chief marketing officer at Philips. And my last role was the global head of digital at a at a large international bank. And, uh, you know, actually on that journey for 20 years of that experience, I've always been a people manager. And I've increasingly had this kind of itch and discomfort about how poorly companies manage people and how much unfairness has crept into things. A lot of biases, a lot of favoritism, a lot of people getting to the top through ass-kissing and other things rather than actually hard work or actually doing the right thing. And, you know, it all came to a head for me when I was retrenched. I was laid off. And, mm. uh for me, I was upset about it, it was unfair, it was, but it also in the context of the company actually getting rid of thousands of other people. And again, they do the same thing on an annual basis, you know, go through, hire a whole bunch of people, get rid of them, start again, focus on more of a bottom line, saving a few dollars or kind of having a good message for their shareholders rather than actually doing the right thing to grow the company or do the right thing by employees. So once I kind of lost my job there, I had a lot of good options. You know, I could have taken a corporate job, could have got into a kind of CMO role or another kind of digital transformation role. But I thought, you know what? No. I need to change things for the better. Uh, There's been a fire that's been lit for me that Mm. uh, I believe that work is not fair. I believe that people are not put first. And I think that has to change. So, you know, it doesn't matter what products that we build doesn't matter if we've got a great onboarding tool or a great performance review or we're doing great stuff with employee data. Fundamentally, what we do is we look at how we can actually make work fair, how we can make things more transparent, how we can provide actionable data for people to make the right decisions, and how can we fix people management. And that's what it's all about for us. You know, I look for equally broken people, people who are frustrated, angry, mm. people who have been laid off, retrenched, fired, people who have been bullied in the workplace, people who have been harassed. Those people come together and have banded together to form this company, all with the single-minded mission of how do we kind of do whatever we can to make work fair with the products that we're building. I love it. Those are quite honest emotions. Yeah. I mean, look, you've got to be honest with what you're doing. And, you know, I've worked at big companies before and I I felt like a a disconnected part of a large machine. Right. It feels like, you know, you're kind of living someone else's vision and trying to make those people rich. And, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like they're giving back to you. But I think if you're really honest about wanting to change the world, even a small part of it, mm. you've got to have honest feelings about it and why you're doing it. So when you get
1: up in the morning, shower and go to work and you're heading into people wave, HQ, yeah. and does that always sit in the back of your mind, that, that episode that you had with your previous employer, employers and the way you were treated?
0: That's where it started. It's not there at the moment. Where it is, is I see it in other people. Uh, Every new hire comes in actually Mm. has just been mistreated. I can see clients kind of struggling in their jobs. I can see people have been overlooked for the promotion. I can see people who haven't got the salary increment they were expecting. I can see, you know, just bad management is, is prevalent with every meeting, every conversation, you know, whether it's a VC, whether it's a customer or whether someone who wants to work for us. I can see that same kind of spirit, the same kind of problem that I've experienced in everyone else. Mm. So, yeah, it's not just about kind of maintaining the rage. It's really making sure <laughs> you can see it in everyone else and trying to help them. Right.
1: Sharing yeah. the rage, <laughs> <laughs> connecting the dots. But are those people that you see in it? You mentioned broken people. Mm. Um, have they just not yet realized it yet? I mean, because you must have known this was, I mean, you've worked in corporates for many, many years. You mm. know how they work, even from the, the early days, right? That is the DNA of the corporate. Yet it took something like the retrenchment to make you wake up and realize it and mm. maybe take you over the line. You always knew about that. Are you, When you see these broken people out there, people who are in these roles and they're sort of searching, can you see that in them and maybe before they can see it in themselves?
0: Well, often they have no choice. I mean, if you've been retrenched out of a job or you've actually been bullied by a manager or you've had a difficult workplace situation, people feel powerless. People feel they have no control. Uh, And uh, most people are actually very risk adverse. You know, they've got a family, they've got a mortgage. They can't go out and actually launch a startup to try to fix these problems. So, yeah, I I can see that. I can see when someone's eyes have glazed over because people management has not been well done. I can see people who loathe going into work because they're going to face their manager or a team member they they don't get on with. I can see managers who kind of loathe dealing with kind of irritable staff or people have no loyalty or don't want to work for the company because, Mm. you know, there's mismatch of expectations on both sides. So, yeah, I I don't claim to be, you know, uh, psychic and I can't say that, okay, this person's actually going through a difficult workplace experience. But you can see the signs. Yeah. Yeah. You can the signs are it. there. Yeah. You're a bit like the Pied Piper. <laughs>
1: All these broken people, they're everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, passion Passion breeds passion. So, yeah, exactly. you know, once you kind of get that kind of thing that people kind of actually can cling on to and, and mm-hmm. believe in, yeah, people want to actually solve that problem.
1: Well, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about people wave and what the actual solution is to this people management problem that's endemic in mm. corporates. And it's not a... It's not created by people, really, it's systems and organizations yes. and you know, priorities, isn't it? Um, so we'll go into that space as well. But before we do, do, I mean, do people get scared when you talk in these terms? Because you're, you know, with all due respect to you, Damien, you're making yourself quite vulnerable, mm. putting yourself out there. And that takes some guts, right? You yeah. know, and that's great that you do that. Because in this world, you know, we live in a very fake Instagram world where everybody has filters and has a perfect life. And, yeah. you know, they all have private jets and, you know, You know, the the condo in Miami and all that sort of stuff. That's the world that we project to people. So for somebody to go out and say, look, actually, this is how I feel. It's not perfect. I'm doing something about it. I've made a lot of failures as well. But on the net, I'm on the way up, right? Mm. But I imagine whilst it's good for you, some people might sort of feel a little bit scared about that.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I I learned many years ago climbing the corporate ladder, you haven't made it until you've made some enemies. You have to put it out there. I don't want to make enemies. I want everyone to be happy. And, you know, not everyone's going to get the vision of the future that we're presenting at PeopleWave. We're about, you know, transparency, data driven decisions, and trying to actually level set and make things fair. Not everyone wants to actually make things fair. Some people don't want to give up control, some Mm. people uh, want to stick to the existing way of doing things. And, we're not going to be for everybody. But again, what we're trying to do is actually kind of look at the trends. The world is moving towards millennials coming in. There's a younger kind of generation of the workforce who so are more tech savvy, butting up against the old dinosaurs who are trying to keep things the way they were. You've got HR people who don't know any different, who are frustrated in their job and want to move up to the next level, don't have control in their organizations and looking for some help. Mm. Uh, and generally, you know, across the board, you're finding people who you know, don't agree with us. That's fine. Uh, some people do, and that's going to be the next wave of things that as as we get better, embracing technology, embracing data, and embracing transparency. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Good. Yes. It's a good measure of success when you have enemies, isn't it? So, I mean, you, you must be doing something right if yeah. people find something wrong with it as well. That's it. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if people just like what you do, you might as well be invisible, right? Yes. Yeah. You've got to, you know, not galvanize people, but you've got to do something that's going to attract people who love what you do enough that some
0: people might disagree with it as well right? yeah so. no one wants to be mediocre but the reality is so many companies are so yeah. if you can provide a mediocre solution go for something that's going to be game changing something that's leading against something that people love and of course for every you know for every kind of ten people love it you're going to get a couple of people that hate it yeah good
1: yeah. Yeah, happy days happy days indeed <laughs> we have your previous pitch deck here I'm just going to flash out a couple of slides just as a reference point sure. because it's a journey this is you know your company, as much as your pitch deck, people wave, your team, it's a living, breathing thing. It evolves and changes, right? So just so people know, if you are watching this on the video, we'll also describe a little bit with the audio. um, I'll just jump in and just to reiterate here, this is the problem. So if you, this is what we talked about and you went a bit more in depth in Mm -hmm. this in episode one about losing your job, right? And the solution to this was, if I could just jump forward to slide nine. Um, sorry, I'm ahead of myself here. Slide nine. Yeah, this is your suite of products that you have, which at the time, this may have, obviously this has evolved since then. Because yeah. six months ago is a long time in the startup
0: world, and it's you've wildly been wildly out of date now. I can tell you, <laughs> there's a lot more to this now. Yep. All right,
1: so I'll explain what was here, and then you can explain what we yeah. have now. So you have the three sort of levels of products: there, performance wave, which is a data-driven um, measurement. The onboarding, which is for new employees, you know, measuring their performance and so on. HR command, command center, which is turning that into action, actionable yes. insights, right? Which it says coming soon here, mm-hmm.
0: six months ago. What's happened since then? Well, kind of to reiterate where we were and where we are now. So it all starts with well, fu- fundamentally PeopleWave is about turning employee performance into actionable data points. Yeah. So for example, one of the biggest problems is, you know, uh, Uh, The value of someone in a role is actually usually based on your manager saying how well you've met goals. That doesn't drive performance. It's a combination of things. So it's how strong your relationships are, how good your skills are, and whether you're delivering in the job. Those three elements are one of the core parts of what we do, the formula of performance. We realize that fundamentally what we do is we we, um, reduce turnover. Coming into a new company, often you're thrown in the deep end, no idea what to do, no idea who to meet, no idea what your tasks are, etc. The expectations are not set. So first of all, we start with the first 100 days. You've been hired, you come into a new organization, what we do is set expectations, give you data-driven feedback, connect you to the right people in your network, and then we'll basically set you up for success. That lowers early turnover. Mm. That then moves into performance wave, which is reimagining the awful annual appraisal process (laughs) into a continuous 360 feedback, getting getting feedback from internal stakeholders and your external customers. Again, a little bit revolutionary there. Again, looking at the three aspects of performance, your relationships, your skills, and your delivery. That then moves into a series of data points we've created. For example, we believe that fundamentally employees should own their own data. Mm. You know, the anti-Facebook. So, uh, and with what we do with our first couple of products, we collect a lot of data on you, your name, your job title, your gender for things like diversity reporting, are you a manager, how many people do you manage, how strong are your relationships, how good are your hard skills and soft skills, uh, how well are you delivering and your overall kind of score out of 100. What we do with that is that we're moving that into two directions. We're actually turning uh, all of that data into the uh, analytics suite called the HR Command Center. So what the first two tools do is actually generate reports. The third tool actually gives you insight. You know, in any company, it, it's very difficult to answer the basic people questions. Who's your best employee and, mm. and why? Who's your worst? Who are your high-performing teams? Who's going to leave your company in the next few months? So all of those can, and more importantly, who are good and bad managers. So all of that information we're actually getting from the analytics suite called the HR Command Center. We haven't officially launched that yet. It's launched uh, live in Q1 next year then the new product offering is actually in the blockchain. Now, we'll go into this a little bit later, but we went through an ICO process that we tanked, tanked spectacularly. Yeah, It was so awful. Uh, and I can explain how not to do one. Well, uh, well can, can we just part we'll, of that we'll context? That, that. That's a subject, that's a chapter in itself, right? But what, what came out of that is that we're extremely bullish on our blockchain solution. Yeah, right. Yeah, we call it wave And what we're doing at the moment is building that out because we want to give ownership of the data of employees mm. back to the employees. And, the, and there's no... A platform out there that does this—you know, yeah. people lie on their CVs, for example. They're lying on their LinkedIn profile. They're exaggerating, putting new things up there. But what we believe is that wouldn't it be great if you could actually give that real-world performance, that verified data, give ownership to the employee? So no matter who their boss is, which team they're in, I and mean, even which company they're in, they have this verified uh, record of their performance that we've moved to the blockchain solution.
1: Right. They can take that with them to a future employer. Right. Correct. Okay. Yeah. It's not owned by the employer,
0: which was the case yeah. up until now. Right. We're giving power back to the employee. Yeah. So that's a new tool called WaveBase is actually looking at how do we do recruitment in a new and interesting way. How do we do background check and screening and basically how we assign ownership of data back to the mm. employee.
1: Okay. Blockchain. So you're bullish about blockchain, the technology, but yes. not necessarily bullish about ICOs. Yes. So and, and we were chatting before we went on air and you came up with the quote of the day. <laughs> Damien, success is not a great teacher. Failure is. Mm. Explain yourself.
0: Well, you know, success is great. You can actually luck into it, or there's many reasons why people might be successful. If you throw enough money at it, often you are. But failure, regardless of where you are in a company or in which role, is always a great teacher. So we've learned a lot from our failures. Now, we had a series of issues. So back in March, April this year, we thought we'd take some easy money. We thought ICO would be the way forward, Mm. where we have a very clear case with a blockchain solution that we can tokenize. And effectively tokenizing employee data, giving rewards back to employees and companies using it, made a lot of sense. What we ended up doing is trusting the wrong people. So there was a, a contractor that worked from us that ended up stealing a large amount of money, a large amount of our tokens, and defrauding us with fraud and em- embezzlement. Mm. It uh, effectively uh, almost bankrupted us and put us out of business in the middle of the year. Wow. Uh, we also, uh, based on some bad advice, actually um, <laughs> had a cryptocurrency out there that currently doesn't exist anymore. But, uh, you had your own coin? Yeah, we, we had something that was called PWV, but no longer exists. We will have a new version of that called PPL in the future because mm. there's still a need to tokenize the, mm-hmm. the, the wave-based solution. But yeah, basically we, we got uh, torpedoed by uh, someone who deliberately targeted our business and tried to destroy us. Second part is that uh, the sentiment in the market changed. Mm. So people, yeah, you know, without, are not without. not billionaires in the uh, block uh, Bitcoin world anymore. So they're very, um, uh, I guess, bearish about to, uh, bullish, no, not bearish about putting money into this kind of space. Mm. And third, actually, we took some bad advice and actually ended up trying to list on an exchange before we completed what was called the private sale. Mm. So um, we thought we had a lot more money from our pre-sale, but again, that all disappeared with people taking the money out of our business. What it also meant is that because we put so much effort into that for about a three or four month period, we lost sight of where the core business was yeah. going. We didn't put efforts into sales. We didn't put effort into traditional fundraising like we should have. We uh, basically had to let go the entire Singapore team. Everyone left. Uh, we got down to basically myself here plus our d- development team in the Philippines. And then we had to kind of build ourselves up again. So we we're at 21 people back at that point. We went down to about 10 people. Uh, we're now back up to 18. So uh, we actually, we were at bankruptcy's door. So everything that could have went wrong did go wrong. Right. No money, uh, embezzlement, fraud, all the things Jeez. taken out of it. We ended up spending almost $200,000 in actually marketing the ICO and actually getting out. We thought we had at least $2 million, but again, that was absconded with. But so, the
1: time that that took up more than the money, the time... Just to muster, That must have been a sucker punch for you. It was. It was difficult, yeah.
0: So a whole bunch of issues around that. Yeah. So, um, you know, issues with people, issues with trusting the wrong people, mm. and poor decisions around that. So we, we dusted ourselves up, uh, dusted ourselves off and kind of moved on. Mm. It was also made worse because actually uh, many of us, particularly myself and also our CTO, Phil had actually also gone through some family trauma. So mm. people passing away or you know, other kind of family challenges at the time. So all combined together just to kind of actually make it the worst possible six months of the year. Yeah. However, we got better. <laughs> so we realized it was – we all believed in it too much. We, we couldn't let it go. We realized, you know, focusing on an ICO, it just is rubbish. So we wanted to go back to basic principles. We had a, a couple of great products in market. We were getting a lot of traction uh, despite all what was happening out with the ICO world. We doubled down on that. Mm. We focused back on our marketing and our sales. We got our processes right. We brought in a great COO. Uh, Phil and I, the CTO, and myself kind of doubled down. We brought in other senior leaders, including people like Pip Penfold, who's our now kind of head of customer success and our resident HR expert. We brought in a lot of people who wanted and have, now have skin in the game. Mm. So we gave away – we basically brought together a lot of people who are believers, uh, people who are taking a lower salary or are missing out salary for a few months or maybe wanted to take an equity stake or invest it into us. Mm. All those people have believed in the vision and helped turn things around. So we're m- in a much better place. So we're now back to a break-even business. Um, I think if, we, if our numbers are correct, we'll hit around about 500,000 revenue, mm. and we're on track to become a $5.7 million business next year. Mm. We have a clear plan. Uh, we've now identified a lead investor into Series A, and it uh, looks like we'll get uh, some money coming to the bank that in early uh, 2019, and from there, I mean, once you make your first million or two, uh, you're set. Mm. You're going to be a wildly successful business. But, yeah, the, first, the middle six months of the year was pretty awful.
1: I think that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, can we talk a little bit about that? Can we sure. sort of expand on that? Because y- you can't sort of just mention that and brush over to the next thing. We've got to, you know, we've got to go into that a little bit because mm. it gives us more of an insight into you, your team, the kind of, you've already tell, told us, for example, now you have believers on board, right? Yeah. And how important that is at times like this. And I know, for example, you mentioned like, you know, we got defrauded or we had to deal with it, but ultimately a lot of it was just you, right? I mean, as the CEO and main founder, right? Founder, co-founder? I mean,
0: founder, yeah. Found, so.
1: so it was really you. Yeah. I mean, you had advisors and people around you, but the buck stopped with you. That yeah. must have been tough. Did you, when, wh- okay. You've obviously set the scene. I want to know in that situation, just purely on a personal basis, interest in in you and, you know, what makes a startup founder tick. You must have thought about giving up.
0: Yeah, it was it was too difficult at the time to give up. So there's too much invested in it. Right. So I'd put um, a few hundred thousand of my own money into this. Um, I actually had my house up for sale to try to sell it to actually kind of put money into the business. Uh, luckily, I haven't had to do that yet because the market's down. I can't sell it. Yeah, uh, I put on a lot of weight. So the way that I was dealing with stress is working long hours, eating crappy food. Yeah, uh, I didn't do anything. I stressed. I couldn't sleep. I was, you know, and, and the decisions we had to make were very difficult. So we gave people choices about whether they wanted to continue on or whether they wanted to leave the company. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and it, it was. I've been there. Yeah. We've had a lot of great loyalty from everyone. Mm. And I love everyone who's actually worked at the company. Mm. They've all done an amazing job. But again, it was tough, you know, in, in middle of the year when when many of the kind of guys in Singapore had to leave us uh, of their own choice. Uh, yeah. we, we wanted everyone to stay, but couldn't end up doing a deal with them. But again, we built it up from there. So, yeah, on a personal level, you know, what I'm trying to do now is actually be a much better man for my birthday for April next year. So I need to lose a lot of weight. I need to get fit. I need discipline again. Mm. So all that kind of went out the window. So. Uh, my brother passed away in the I'm middle sorry, of the yeah. year. Uh, my family was all kind of traumatized about how because mm. he quite young. He's only 21. Oh, uh, yeah, it was tough. And, um, yeah, the business was going bad. I had someone we trusted end up kind of stealing from us, taking mm. money and, and taking away, you know, all the impetus of the business. We lost time. Uh, and, you know, I think mental illness and, and depression, you know, they're very real things. And mm. I think, you know, even for you know a limited amount of time, it wears on you. All you can do is. Okay, oh yeah, you're a human you,
1: being. Yeah, you, you basically, you're not a robot.
0: Exactly. So it was it was a tough time, and mm. not just for me. It was you know for our CTO and co-founder Phil, uh, all the team members that actually kind of rallied around it, mm. all going through it. Um, it yeah, you know, I don't have a solution to it. We're trying to figure it Absolutely out. Absolutely not. No, there isn't yeah. a
1: solution, and often it's just working through it and just keeping going and taking every day as it comes, right? Because yeah. you know when you look at the the mountain of crap, you yeah. know it all adds up, right? But just to say, okay. What can I do today? And just taking a little, you know, dig out of that mountain and trying to move it is what you're doing. And that sort of momentum kind of builds. And now you're sort of turning a corner, which is great. Right. And there's such a lesson in that as well. You know, I want to know, how did you, you know, did you sort of come out of that understanding things a little bit clearer? because. You had a bigger team before you went in. You had all this sort of shiny object of the ICO, which distracted you. And then you were chasing around, obviously, because somebody had shortchanged you and defrauded Mm -hmm. you, right? And you know, all the, the family issues as well. But at some point, did you realize actually, you know, this is what I need to focus on this thing. And all that rest is just noise.
0: Yes, that's exactly what happened. I've got to go back to my first entrepreneurial experience over 20 years ago. So uh, back in the 1990s, during the dot-com boom, I did start a web development company with uh, two other people. And, you know, we did that for about four years. We raised $500,000 from a mining company. We're building websites for major corporations. But with the dot-com bust around the year 2000, the business was about to go under. Now, at that point, we were almost 20 people in Australia, and uh, we had to make some decisions. Now, I was a young managing director at that point. I didn't know much, and uh, I was foolishly trying to keep the directors, the employees, and the products going. Mm. And what I was trying to do was sell the business off to a large company. And all the advice I got at the time is jettison the employees. Get rid of them. Keep yourself. Keep the core IP. Start again. And at the time, I thought I didn't want to do that. You know, the, I was trying to be, I don't know, what I was trying to be, uh, too ethical, too moral, whatever. Yeah. And I realized, you know, all those employees were fine. Uh, we actually had done, we over-delivered in terms of trying to keep them happy and they all went on to live happy, great lives and gr- had great careers. Mm. So this time was a little different. So, you know, I d- didn't want to try to make decisions on the behalf of the team at people about whether they wanted to stay or leave. We were just very transparent. Here's how much money we have in the bank. Mm. here's how much the costs are going to be. We want to keep you. What can we do in terms of a deal? Are you willing to put up with this risk? And again, what it became is once you lay all these things out, regardless of whether it was the right or wrong answer, at least it became fair. So people could make their own informed choices about mm. where we are. And I think that was the key thing. Now I can't say I've always done the right thing around it and I, your communication has, has been patchy at times, but trying to be as open and transparent as it can be around what the decisions are and where this is going to go is extremely important. Hmm. And that was probably one of the big lessons for me. It's like, you know, I didn't want to do what I did 20 years ago. I don't want to fail because I was had these kind of high ideals that I was trying to protect people. People can't don't need protection. What they need is information. Hmm. they have got to make their own hmm. informed choices. No surprises. Yeah, exactly. No surprises as much as possible. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating if you were to put those two in, in writing your book, the autobiography, those two chapters, if you were to take that chapter in your life and also the chapter when you got retrenched, they're almost similar, but from different angles, aren't they? I mean, it's the same kind of situation that came up, but dealt with completely differently. Yes. What do you think the lesson is in there for startup founders and for corporates as well, dealing with talent? Because there's a, there is definitely a right and a wrong way to deal with this.
0: Right? There is. I don't know if it's necessarily about talent, but the major lesson for me is it's the strength of your network. You can't do it alone. You need a very strong network of mm. people around you. So even if it's not, you know, people are going to work for you or shareholders, for example, you need people to talk to. You need people to help you. You need to rely on someone. And you know, when push comes to shove, if you need a customer, you need to be able to call someone up and say, "Hey, man, I, ne- I need some money to mm. do this. Can we do a pilot? Or can we do this?" And I think it's also a sense of fearlessness. You know, so mm. much people kind of want to, uh, I see so many tech startups doing this, tinkering with their kind of product in a back room without talking to customers. You know, you need oh. to get whatever version of your product out there in front of someone. They can tell you it's a piece of crap, but at least you know where to fix it. You know where there's an interest or not. And actually you can quickly correct it. So what I realize is it's primarily about having good relationships and building a network. Doesn't matter whether it's a digital one, such as via LinkedIn or Mm. other social media platforms, or calling people up. But again, the key difference in those two choices I had, which is I've got a networking go to now. Not everyone likes me, but people will still pick up the call and answer it. People will take a meeting. Mm. Uh, If you're fearless about it and actually, you know, you're not trying to oversell people on stuff, you really want to get their opinion. Maybe you want them to do a pilot. Maybe you want to add value to their life. Uh, Generally, People will say yes. People want to help each other out. Mm. Just got to reach out to them.
1: I'm absorbing what you're saying mm. because I'm thinking about advice for myself. Like stop tinkering. <laughs> yeah, stop tinkering. Just do it. Get to the moment of truth. Yeah. It's showtime. Exactly. Like stop messing around. Yeah, Like Get out there. It's
0: comfortable to tinker. Yeah, it is. But again, you, you know, it depends what your goal is. So, if, you know, I'm trying to create a billion-dollar business. Yeah. It just happens to be very small right now. But uh, what we're trying to do is we've got a big vision, we've got a big purpose, and we're, we will be a big company. So you, you've got to put it out there. You've got to test it. Mm. We get people in the HR field saying, well, you know, back up your principles. Tell me why you think the, your formula, the relationships and competencies and delivery is the right way forward. Why should I change the, what we've been doing for, for 20 or 30 years? Mm. And you've got to be bold about it. So, well, you know, maybe we're not for you or maybe this, this is why we believe this. And then again, the conversation gets better. You tinker. Some people like it. And it, when they do like it, the word spreads. Hmm. Uh, in fact, I actually think we're, we were told last week something very interesting. We sat down in front of a VC and he said to us, I think you guys are the largest HR tech startup in Southeast Asia. I almost laughed in his face. I was thinking, "Oh my, really? Mm. We're 18 people. You know, we're hundreds of thousands of revenue. Sure, we have 800 businesses using our platform at the moment, but uh, again, it could be a hell of a lot better." But I can realize if I'm so dissatisfied with where we are, and I know we're going to be so much bigger, Mm. and we're already ahead of all the other people in the space, it tells me that too many people sit in the back room and tinker on their product trying to make it perfect. What I believe is that um, uh, (laughs) fast is the opposite of perfect. Mm. No one wants to be perfect. Fast is better. Iterate agile. Do it quickly. Do it 100 times. Mm. In the time you do it 100 times, someone else is trying to do a perfect solution that's got to go through another 99 iterations. Absolutely. Yeah. What does being fearless mean? Uh, well, basically, not, not worry about being a failure and not being a failure. Mm. I think you've got to... Uh, does that mean publicly sharing your failures? Is that
1: part... I mean, you know, there, there's a benefit to the listener in hearing your story and your failures,
0: but is there sure. a benefit to you in doing that as well? People want help. Uh, generally if you say here's, here's where I've got a problem or here's where I failed yeah. generally what I find is people reach out and say hey I can help you with that yeah. um, you know I don't think people get very bored with these guest stories you know everyone wants to be the next Bill Gates or you know uh, Steve Jobs of the world you don't learn anything from those guys yeah uh, you know if, they're if, celebrities yeah but again if you had the opportunity to go back to Apple 20 or 30 years ago and help Steve Jobs when he was trying to build that company yeah. or sit down with Bill Gates when he was doing the first version of you know Microsoft Office Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Mm. And you can see where that benefit would take you into the future. You know, I'm not saying we're necessarily going to be a Microsoft, but uh, having said that, I think people genuinely respond to um, difficult circumstances. People genuinely want to help you. Mm. And I think partnerships come from that, customers come from that, and investors come from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, in culture, the hero's journey is all full of failure, right? (laughs) When the hero gets beaten down, Yeah. There's always that scene, isn't it, in before the epiphany moment, yeah. or however, however a director likes to to narrate it. Is the hero gets bashed down, yeah. and you think they're gone, they're dead, and when you think they're dead, the the antagonist comes in and bashes them down a little bit more, <laughs> right? You know, just lays it on, yeah, just like your last six months. But then there's that sort of that epiphany moment, and they, they that realization actually these are the things that I need to think about. That voice, yeah. Whether it's Yoda or, you know, whoever the guiding voices in your life, the people saying, look, this is what you need to go back to the core basics, right? And the fact that you've you've had that journey makes us more makes you more relatable to, you know, other people around you because it shows that vulnerability, mm-hmm. that humanity as well. Especially in your space as well, you know, about fairness, transparency and people. Yeah. You know, ultimately somebody who's standing up and living it rather than just telling everybody to do it. Get a well, walk the fa- talk, yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. So, I imagine for you, you must be happy to be getting into the end of the year alive and ready, fighting with you know money in the bank, and you know you say
0: you're near break even. We are break even, yes, you are. I mean, yeah. that must feel good. It does, uh, but <laughs> we, we want to be a whole lot better. Right. So where things are kind of starting to pick up is we've identified, you know, at least one lead investor that's coming in, that's going to help us with our Series A round of a five million raise. We're extremely happy about that because, again, we've got a, a very detailed plan of how do we get five million in revenue next year. Mm. Uh, you know, from a break, even, basically we've got broken and broken even. Mm. Now we're at a point where we've got a clear plan for next year to expand internationally, hit that five million revenue target and so on. That five million revenue target is very hard when you're a bootstrapping business with no money. Very easy when someone injects a Series A round of capital. Mm. But again, you know, uh, once you get to five million in revenue, it's a very easy shot to get to 100 million in revenue. Uh, just time, more people, more resources, because all the learning has already been done. So what I'm really happy about is that you know a few months ago we saw light at the end of the tunnel. Now we're walking through into the sunlight. Mm. So what I'm just waiting for is a few of those things to drop. And so often, and you've experienced this. Uh, it's a lucky break. Hmm. As long as you can set yourself up, build an amazing pipeline, build the right network, have the right conversations happening and do that for a long period of time. So, you know, if we were, uh, didn't have a pipeline, didn't have any customers speaking to them, had no partnership conversations, you know, we'd be in a pretty awful situation. But from day one, we've been trying to build this up. So many of our conversations are about to drop after talking for 12 months or six months. Uh, going in and actually validating with other people, helping other people out. All of that leads to where I think we're going to be in 2019, which is going to be our breakthrough year. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned luck. I mean, obviously that's a part of it, but you've yeah. got to be in the game to get lucky, right? Yeah. That's the key, isn't it? You've got to put yourself out there to attract luck.
0: It doesn't just sort of knock on, people wave HQ and walk into the yeah. office, right? Yeah, we've spent a lot of time actually developing processes. Now, that sounds extraordinarily boring. But uh, yeah, for any startup, you need things like we use Zoho, which is a sales CRM. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, Salesforce is very similar. But again, you know, you've got to build a pipeline and you've got to assume that 20% of that's going to close. Now we've got a, almost a $3 million USD pipeline there. So we've got some for this quarter. and We think that's going to lead to some more money. Uh, so that might not drop in December. You know, it's almost mm. Christmas, but it will hit in January or February. So having a process like that where you've got a pipeline management tool, you've adopted a great sales process, you work with third parties and got a great sales team internally means that eventually it'll pay off. Yeah. Same kind of thing with HR or IT or our product roadmap. We're now talking about products that are going to be you know, available in market from a year from now. Those are being scoped. We're doing the user experience on that. It's going to be a fantastic uh, set of products coming up in the future. But again, you've got to start now it's a long-term payoff but again process driven putting all the hard work and yeah yeah it's a comes down to a lot to luck but you can set luck up in your favor yeah
1: absolutely. the process is i I like to hear that that a founder focusing on process because you say it's not the most exciting part of a business no but you know with that process it does all the heavy lifting and if you look at any kind of you know we often look in culture and media at artists or musicians or anybody who's very creative and it looks like it's genius Mm. or they're just able to magic creativity out of the air or pull it out of the air. Behind that is a ton of discipline, hard work, whether they're writing or whatever. That all goes in the background. It's the same with startups and founders is that, you know, when you see them go on stage, when you see them closing the deal, when talking about their successes, that's the tip of a tip of an iceberg, if you like, that sort of 95% is below water. And that's all the process. I think that's where so many startups fail because they kind of shirk away from that. Even though, you know, there's that, that need to get out and face the moment of truth and ask and go and do the sales, if you like. Yeah. However, behind that is the pipeline, right? Otherwise, it's just random, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I've also found that, I guess, a, a strong learning experience. I mean, the, the startups that are going to succeed are the ones that are sales and marketing focused. Absolutely. really have to be. Yeah, so, yeah. so much, uh, you know, I see great kind of pe- products out there, but I see no commercial outcome. I see uh, people who struggle with marketing. And, you know, marketing needs to be your first or second hire. You need to make sure you've got a strong marketing uh, you know, team to do your lead generation, to build a brand, to make people aware of what you do. Uh, there are millions of people in any category that do something similar to what you do, uh, but again, you've got to build familiarity. You've got to build a very strong pipeline. You know, for the first year of People Wave, I was selling Vaporware. You mm-hmm. know, I was basically selling a mock-up of what I what we were trying to put out there, and people bought it. Yeah, people loved the idea of it. People actually liked the screenshot. They liked the user experience. We just didn't happen to have a product at that point. But again, people are willing to kind of sign a document or sign up to use it because they like what this is. Now, of course, this, behind the scenes, you scramble like hell to get a product in place, yeah, and there might always be some problems with that. But again, you know, it's much easier to go out and actually validate what you're doing, sell it, see what the response is, rather than actually, again, going back to trying to develop the perfect product that nobody wants. Yeah.
1: yeah. Some founders might like, listen to what you're saying about going out and selling. Well, it's not Vaporware. You're selling the mock-up, the yeah. wireframes, the idea, the screenshots or whatever. Yes. You're selling an idea and a journey. Like, get on board. Yep. Like, help grow this thing with me. It's early days. We haven't yet built it. But with your help and your feedback, we can do this. Some founders might say, you know, that is vaporware. That's, you know, not honest. It's not, you know, you need to go out with the product. And, you know, I can't put that out into the market, an unfinished product, because the customers are going to come back and tell me it's rubbish or it doesn't work. There's always going to be bugs and fixes. That's how things work. Like you yeah. talked about, the early stages of Windows or Mac, right? It was all like that. So how do you feel about that, going out and, and selling something which,
0: you know, you haven't built yet? It's the smartest thing you can possibly do. Uh, why it's the smartest thing you can possibly do is the reality is if you get in front of a customer and say, this is what I'm going to do, yeah, the worst case scenario is they can give you good feedback. The best case scenario is they're like, I really like this. I want to back you as a startup. Here's a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'll be your marquee or your foundation client, or I might even invest in your company. Versus the other effort of, I'm going to go get a whole bunch of VC and put my house on the line to spend, build this product for three years. I get in front of my first customer. And what those kind of startup founders do is they get really angry. They say, Wow, this is my perfect product. Why yeah. don't you love it? Yeah. So I think there's nothing dishonest about saying, Look, we're a startup. Here's the new product we're about to build. People hmm. want to be part of that journey. Now, of course, I don't ex- you don't expect to go to the biggest companies in the world and say, you know, buy this and give me a million bucks. Ridiculous. Hmm. However, if you're saying, look, maybe let's do a pilot or here's a kind of, a, you know, the new functions we're about to release. Would you want to be part of that journey? People always do. Hmm. And if you're actually solving one of their very real problems, they want to be part of that. Sometimes they're happy to wait. You know, doing a big deal with an enterprise or mid market company is not going to happen tomorrow. Mm. It might take you three months, six months, or even a year. And they're very happy to wait if you can solve that problem for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right as well. Is that maybe with the larger corporates, the middle managers might not buy in because for them it's too risky at this yeah. stage because they want to see the finished product. They've got finished product comparatives out there. Yet maybe for the more entrepreneurial customers, clients, they love it. They actually prefer coming in early. Yeah. Like you say, Marky. Client, great for them. They like being part of something and yeah. they get what you're trying to do. Damien, I've been there as well. You know, I'm going to back you. And they might not be backing you
0: as an investor, but as a marquee client, that's a way in, right? Exactly. And the best thing, you get, no C-level executive in the world is they're either going to say, nope, sorry, do not not interested, five-minute conversation, or they're going to say, look, this is really cool. Hmm.
1: Well,
0: let me be a part of this. Um, and again, the problem that creates it from a startup perspective is, well, you need to move faster, create something to meet that need and take their money. It's as simple as that. Mm. So, yeah, the best thing you can do is actually go out, kind of prototype with customers, get the money from those guys. And that was exactly our journey in 2017. That's what brought us to, you know, pivoting multiple times away from Vaguely wanted to do something in the HR space to focus, narrowing down employee data to launching first hmm. 100 days and performance wave, and now the new products we're building out. This is not us sitting in an ivory tower thinking what the best thing for the HR world Tinkering. is. It's actually real customers, people, managers, and HR people telling us what they need.
1: Yeah, moment of truth, validation. Of truth. Okay, so Damien, you've gone through uh, a stellar 2018 in terms of learning. Right? <laughs> I'm putting it all in the positive. I mean, you've 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 plumbed the depths and hit the highs, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm sure like going into the holiday period, you're just looking forward to having a few days off as well. But what have you learned? I mean, we sat here six months ago and the ICO was just happening or that was a thing. Um, you know, you've the products, I mean, your, your focus was more or less the same products have changed slightly. You've mm-hmm. evolved those, which is great because you're constantly validating it. You as a founder, as an entrepreneur. Rather than sort of what have you learned, how do you spend your days differently? Are you sort of apportioning your time differently? If you sort of go back six months to now, are you now sort of more focused on some activities and less on others?
0: Well, it was a difficult year for me. So I was grieving over my brother's death. Um, I was actually dealing with my family issues and I ran away from a lot of things. Uh, i kind of broken emotionally after kind of the, all the issues around the ICO and you know people actually defrauding us and going through a whole bunch of issues. And how I, what I did is... I, I couldn't 100 percent throw myself into work because you mm-hmm. know I, there was times where I sat behind the desk for hours at a time struggling, not knowing what to do or not knowing how to fix it, or it was too much. And then the bad habits crept in: too much fast food, too much not working out, too much uh, not caring. And then you know something that's always guided me in life is I've always had this philosophy of what's the worst that can happen, What more could happen? And and to me, nothing worse could happen. There, there was pretty much it. You know, I'd hit rock bottom. So what I did is decided, okay, I can't be this anymore. Uh, you know, when it's difficult for me to tie up my shoes because I feel so fat now, or I'm running for the bus and I, I'm huffing and puffing because I know I've actually put my stress into my body by doing the wrong things. So now I've got the hard task of changing things, changing my attitude, uh, going back to learning again, you know, back to education and university and so on. Uh, getting fit, uh, going through horrible diets, which I hate, but again, it does work. And also getting back into physical exercise. So uh, The learnings for me is you, know, you treat yourself probably the worst you're ever going to treat yourself when you're going through those difficult times. Uh, and often you kind of keep your emotions in, you can't talk to people, uh, so you take it out in different and bad ways. So it's really how do you kind of put yourself first a little bit? Mm. How do you make sure physically you're fine, mentally you're fine, how do you have the support of people around you, and how do you open up Uh, if you can do those things, and that's what I've now been in a journey for the last couple of months doing, you know, I've set myself a goal. So by the time my birthday rocks around in April next year, I'm going to be a fitter, happier, more stress-free person with uh, trust of people around me, a great team to do things, uh, great support from the people who are around me that love me, and, uh, you know, just generally um, with a better attitude and a better physical outlook on life. So that's what it's all about. You've got to take care of yourself because no one else Mm, will. mm.
1: At the end of the day, that's what's left, right? Yeah. Damien, it's been a real, well, what can I say, inspiration <laughs> thing with you today. And, um, you know, you've just gone through, I can't describe, and you really know what you've been through, and you've shared just a little bit of a, of your journey in, in 2018 with us. You know, and I hope 2019 is more positive. And it sounds like, you know, touch wood that it will be. You've set yourself up for that. And I think that, I don't know, maybe some things happen for a reason, right? And you went through a tough year. Some of it, obviously, you couldn't avoid, but, Mm. you know, you've learned lessons about people as well. And, you know, in the people business, that was the hardest lesson. You didn't need to have it dealt with as such a hammer blow, right? But you survived that and you grew from it, right? And there are so many lessons for us. I mean, as startup founders, sometimes we have difficult days and, you know, you realize actually, you know, that at the end of the day, you're still in it. Yeah. you're still playing the game right you're still the the ultimately i suppose it comes way back to the beginning of why you start a business is right you're in the business to you know not necessarily to exit the business but to keep playing this game to keep doing what you love right yeah. and the fact that people fund you and the fee- people buy your products and services just keeps you in that game longer and to get to do what you love and to work with people that you really enjoy
0: being around right yeah. that's what it's about so if you're still in it there's still chance. Well, I guess to end off, there was one thing that kind of actually changed everything. So I realized a few months back that I had started to become the villain in my own story. That I would realized that I was actually racked with guilt, with a lot of negative emotions. I've done bad things to, to people and, you know, I've always felt bad about those things. And I realized mentally I had become the villain in my own story. So then I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to mm-hmm. become the hero of my own story again. So if you can become the hero of your own story, your attitude changes and everything else does. Mm. And that's where I am now. You know, I'm not there yet, but that's the journey. It's work in progress.
1: Work in Always. progress. Indeed. Yes. It's wow, awesome. And I think those listening, those watching your, uh, uh, this conversation, hopefully will feel equally inspired. Um, who do you want to hear from? I know you've just, you're in the process of successfully closing or you, you have your lead investor in. So by the time this goes out, hopefully things will have advanced. Mm. Um, there may be, I think, like with the last conversation, you'll be surprised who it actually touches. And the more sort of honest and the more you put yourself out there, the more you sort of the universe answers us as well, in yeah. a way. It's like, you know, you'd be surprised. You won't expect the kind of people that come through and say, Damien, I watched that and it touched something inside me. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, you were speaking, you were saying the things that I wanted to say about myself, right? Or yeah. I was feeling about myself. That's what we kind of find with these kind of conversations that are quite honest. Is there anything in particular that you, you know, in terms of moving forward, growing people wave, you know, the team, partnerships, and so on, that you're particularly looking for?
0: Yeah, probably three things. So, number one, uh, partners. So, that we're actually getting a lot of traction with people who are maybe have complementary skills or generally kind of want to get in front of people managers or HR people. Doesn't have to be in HR tech, but generally, People might want to resell our services or do a partnership together. Mm. It doesn't matter what the category is. We're always happy to talk to people. It doesn't have to be in Singapore. That's uh, actually the more globally diverse in many countries, the better. So that's number one. Number two is we're always looking for customers. Now, again, we can do a deal with someone. If it's a startup, we're happy to do kind of give free software and give free advice. If it's a larger company, we can figure out a deal and obviously make it worth their while. And finally, it's VCs. Now, again, maybe less VCs in this conversation, but what we're looking for is people who believe in the journey. So, mm. believe in what we're trying to do. Maybe believe that we've got a, a great, uh, f- you know, founding management team here, and uh, you know, want to be a part of it. I mean, we're by the sounds of it, anecdotally from one VC, we're the biggest HR tech company yeah. in Southeast Asia. It's not very, uh, not a long, um, not many steps to go from that into the biggest in Asia, mm. and then you know, after that, we go big time.
1: Yeah. Well, mm. if you're the biggest in Asia, that's Big enough. That's the plan. Yeah. Exactly. Already, <laughs> Damien Cummings, everybody, CEO and founder at People Wave. Um, thank you so much for being. Well, for coming. Firstly, for coming back, and also for being. You know, your radical candor as well. I think is is, is you know, it's refreshing. Oh, thank in you. A, in a world where we try to portray a super successful persona, and I think people want to break out of that and they hear these kind of stories. Mm. That's inspiring. Um, And all those people that you mentioned you would like to hear from, what would be the easiest way for people to get in contact with you?
0: Well, there's two ways. Drop me an email, Damien at peoplewave.co. You can check out our website, peoplewave.co, and get in touch. Excellent. Damien. thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.